We are awakened. Come and join our love. It's there are so just right. 24 minerals of life. If I were to hazard a guess, I would bet that of all the minerals your body needs, your doctor offers little advice with regards to sulfur. Why is that, you ask? Well, there's a common belief that we get all the sulfur we need from the food we eat. The truth of the matter is, the farmland which grows most of our vegetables has been depleted of sulfur, so most people are actually sulfur deficient. Sulfur transports oxygen so cells can regenerate in a healthy manner. You need oxygen, therefore you need organic sulfur. Don't settle for non-organic substitutes. Get high-potency organic sulfur crystals without the additives. Go to Organic Sulfur, the number 4, health.com, and access the store page to order your organic sulfur. That's Organic Sulfur, the number 4, health.com. Welcome. You're now tuned in to your unfolding senses on Awakened Radio. I'm your host, Rob Ragazine. This show is all about opening up to and accessing your full intuitive capabilities. And we're all intuitive. I offer a wide range of topics, including everything from archetypes, chakras, and dreams, to numerology and tarot. We also try experiments and exercises on the show, and for you to try later on when you're alone. The show airs every Thursday night at 10 Eastern, 9 Central, and it's brought to you by IntuitionByRap.net, where I offer other tips and tools related to show topics. Please join us every week and enjoy the show, and don't forget to invite your friends. And remember, we're all intuitive. In Tarot, as an author and teacher, and she advocates a revolutionary approach to learning and using the cards that emphasizes personal insight and creativity. And with that, I invite Mary on tonight. Hello, Mary. How are you tonight? Hi, Rob. I'm fine. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. Good. You're perfect. And I'm posting to the chat room the link to Mary's WordPress blog, and that way you can find it if you come to the chat room. It'll also be in the forum. Now, I'm not sure that you're asked this a lot, but probably quite a few times. How often, how did you become interested in Tarot, Mary? Oh, wow. It was a very long time ago, back at the end of the 60s, and um, a friend got a book uh, by Eden Gray on the Tarot for Christmas, and I was looking through the book and just fell immediately in love with the cards, with uh, the kinds of information they gave, and went out to try and find a deck, because she didn't get the deck. She only got the book, which was very strange. And um, I just knew immediately that this was something I wanted to study, to learn all about. And there wasn't anybody else for the first several years that I knew that was into tarot, or at least wasn't into tarot more than I was. So I was always the go-to person practically from the beginning. Now, which deck did you first get? It was a Rider-Waite deck. 
and I'm delighted. It's the one that uh, Eden Gray's book is about. And I think it, what drew me to it was that I was very interested in archetypal symbolism. I had started learning about Jung and Joseph Campbell. And when I saw the, the deck, I immediately saw that all this stuff that I had been studying as an English major about symbolism um, and had been working on in the theater, which was this kind of archetypal approach to um, the plays and stories, um, that it was just embodied in this deck of cards. So for me, it was a way that um, I could see how the symbolism worked in individual people's lives. It, it made it all come alive for me. Now, Mary, did you look into where the tarot started from, find the origins of it? I'm sure you did, did I, some um, research. Um. I've always been interested in the origins of the tarot, but it didn't really sink in until, oh, probably about 15 years ago that I started seriously looking. Um, at first, I was much more interested in the myths and the, um, yeah, the, the, the myths about it. And then um, I started realizing that there really is a big difference between the the myths of the origin of the tarot and the actual history, and that the history itself was um, had more depth to it, it, more places that you could go in learning about it, whereas the myths were these simple myths that got us intrigued with the cards. Um, I think they're incredibly important that way uh, because they the myths express something that many of us that get into tarot are yearning for, are looking for, and the myth guides us to uh, commit ourselves to the tarot. But there's not a whole lot of places you can go in studying that. The myth is the myth, and you start looking into it more deeply, and you find it's a story. It was made up. Whereas the history you can keep exploring and you can go into a lot of depth. And um, I've even traveled twice to Egypt and a couple of times to Italy to try and track down as much as I could just from seeing the um, art of the period. And what did you find? Well, in Egypt, um, there's not much. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a huge amount of uh, incredible, um, you know, art and myth um, in Egypt. And from an archetypal perspective, uh, from the idea that every culture has um, their own form of certain key themes, like, you know, what is a mother image, a father image, what is a, an image of union, um, what's the image of the person going off on their own, uh, you know, a that solitude, um, those images can be found in every culture, and Egypt has them too. So it's easy to draw some parallels uh, between the art of Egypt and the tarot, but not in a single set, not in um, you know a specific um, unit or a single myth that carries through um, the tarot. So all of that breaks down. What you've got is an individual image here from one site and another image from another site, and you can put them together to make a nice little set, but the Egyptians didn't, never put them together. 
Um, so in Italy, though, you do find um, the themes over and over again with the exact same symbolism that comes from the earliest texts and uh, the importance of those ideas at the period. It was the first time in the tarot that um, those 22 images were put together in exactly that form. So there's still a bit of a mystery that's worth researching about why those 22 at that particular time and, you know, period, um, you know, what, why did they stop there? Whereas there's other experiments with cards, with Trump sets in um, Italy around the same time that explored some other themes that added, you know, has some of the same tarot images, but also added the 12 signs of the Zodiac and added in all seven virtues instead of just three and then applied fourth. So, um, yeah, it, it's the history takes you a lot further. But we're not sure of the exact origins of where it came from. Actually, we're pretty sure. Um, we don't have the exact person. We don't have the exact date. Uh, we don't have the exact time. <laughs> um, but we're pretty darn close. I mean, it's northern Italy, probably Milan. Um, the oldest deck, the extant deck that we have that's almost complete was probably done by, ah, his name just slipped my mind. I know it very well, but I can't think of it right this minute. Um, so we, we prob we're pretty sure of the artist of the oldest extant deck, but we don't know if there was an earlier deck that that was a copy of. Um, but it puts it, uh, definitely in Northern Italy and, um, you know, Ferrar may be um, the actual seat of the creation rather than Milan, or, um, you know, maybe Florence, probably not. Um, there's a couple of places um, that um, have indications. Um, but th these families, and they were created um, for the noble families, and they all intermarried. And one of the indications is um, from paintings from the period is that they're usually shown in a very social context for game playing, but also um, we see it in the various lovers' cards um, and the fact that they were um, the very elaborate decks were probably given as wedding gifts. The idea that they were a part of courtship rituals because it was the type of thing that men and women who were not married could come together and do and and provided an access for their courtship ritual to play games of cards together. And with all the intermarriages among the courts, they would just be taking these um, decks from court to court as, as a woman would marry somebody in another court. Yeah, it's it's pretty specific though. Around um, uh, 14, um, 1420 to fourteen forty, by the time it actually took the form that we probably know, we're up to fourteen forty, maybe fourteen fifty, before all twenty two cards um, in the form that we know today uh, exist. But you could probably say pretty clearly fourteen forty for the coming together of the basic tarot. Sounds like that could be an excellent book in itself. There's several books that have been written on it. <laughs> There's um, a, a variety of um, ever since um, Michael Dummett uh, came out with his Game of Tarot, uh, he also co-wrote uh, two further books that go into the history of tarot. And then other people like Robert Place um, 
and quite a few others have uh, further developed the, the concepts that may be included in those earliest decks, all based on extensive research done around um, that early period. Mary, do you have any key advice for the people that are just starting out, just curious about buying a deck for themselves? Oh, buy a deck for yourself. <laughs> Um, the first thing, um, and I would suggest if if there's a deck that just calls to you, the artwork just seems to speak to you, go ahead and get that deck. But if you're serious about learning, you'll also want to get at least one of the the core decks. So what I usually suggest is that people get um, a a book, uh, a deck like the Rider Waite Tarot deck, because so many books have been based on that deck. Or if you like uh, more of a European um, system, there's the French uh, style, the Mar Tarot de Marseille, and more and more people are becoming reinterested in that um, earlier uh, form that was used for divination. So um, either get a Marseille or a Rider Waite Smith deck, along with whatever deck calls you, um, calls your heart or your aesthetic spirit. Uh, and by having two or three basic decks, um, you can really do deep studies into the symbolism and see how your um, the, the deck of your heart uh, relates to the, these um, kind of core decks. Uh, but I, I think that's really important. And then the next thing is um, to um, – oh, question in chat. I'm, I'm not looking at that. I don't um, know. I am. I see. Oh. It says, Go ahead. you may have already answered this, but you should you, well, we didn't. Should you use different decks for different applications or questions? Um, that's totally up to the individual. There's lots and lots of ways to work with the cards. So you can meditate on the cards. You can, um, you know, do divinatory readings, um, predictive readings, or you can do personal growth and more psychologically based readings. You can also use the cards for magic or for, you know, spiritual um, readings entirely on a spiritual um, dimension and level um, and for meditation. So. Depending on what you're doing with the cards, you may want to have um, a deck and a design that you want to use just for meditation and another deck that you want to use for personal psychological use, um, self-growth, and another deck that you want to use for fortune-telling and prediction. But that's probably going to come a little later after you get more familiar with the cards. To get familiar with them, um, you'll want to get a good basic book, not just the little white book that comes with the deck. That's what we call it, the L, um, little white, LWB, little white book. Most people say throw that away. Right away. I, yeah, I wouldn't go quite that far because some of those uh, little books are very handy and some of them give good information about the symbolism used in a particular deck. Uh, and if you get a bigger book that comes with the deck, it might be even richer. Um, but you also want to go to some of the more uh, basic key uh, books. Or you can go to my book, Carol, for yourself. And um, uh, I'm not a fan of memorizing card meanings. Um, if you're wanting to do very predictive kinds of readings, you probably do need to do some memorization or at least really study. But if you want to work more... Uh, 
projective psychological self-growth, um, then actually the best piece of advice is to go through all the cards and write down your first impressions of them. What do the scenes seem to be saying? If this, this the scene was a metaphor, what is it trying to get across? Um, what images really strike you? Um, and there's um, there's lots of ways to play with that. In, in my books, I tend to stress um, starting out with a simple description of the card. And that description will take you to a lot of places. For instance, I just pulled a card, uh, the judgment card in the Rider Waite deck. And a simple description would be that there is uh, what appears to be an angel with wings up in the sky, uh, blowing a horn with a red cross on a white um, uh, flag. Uh, and below there are six people. Uh, they appear to be naked, rising up out of um, boxes or coffins that are floating on water. They're naked. There's a man and a woman and a child in front raising their arms toward the sound of the horn that's being blown. And so just from that description, you can start, you know, the emphasis on the horn. You know, what's calling to you? What's getting you to rise up? The boxes could represent some kind of limitation or the feeling that you were dead before you heard this call and now you're coming to life so that there's a new start. The cross, the red cross on the white flag that's on the horn, that you're at a crossroads. So um, just working with those simple elements of description and then what that description seems to imply can take you really far with most of the contemporary decks. And you also mentioned to talk about the card in first person. That's the next step. Uh, first, you describe it kind of objectively, and then you turn, then you start uh, making up kind of a story around it. You know, who are the people? What are they doing? What, you know, they're hearing a call. Okay, uh, so these people are hearing a call. They're rising up out of um, the coffin, which represents their a more um, rigid life form or a place where they were feeling dead. Then you turn that into I statements. You know, I'm rising up out of a place where I was feeling dead before. I'm at a crossroads, and I'm hearing a call. So that then makes it more personal. That's the next step. And from there, you turn those statements into questions. Um, you know, where have I been feeling dead? What is the call that I'm hearing? How am I rising up um, and responding to something? Uh, what specifically am I hearing? Um, you know, what's the figure trying to tell me? And then I can also be the figure that's up in the sky, the angel. You know, I'm blowing my own horn. <laughs> So you can keep going from there. So um, my books um, focus on a series of steps that you can go through, each step taking you deeper and deeper into the meanings of the cards and helping you to fill them out and find out what they mean for you. Um, I also give um, information on standard meanings and symbolism of the cards, primarily in my two, two of my books, uh, Tarot for Yourself, which was the first book, uh, a workbook format so that you can write your answers in the book itself and come back to them again and again over the years. And my um, a later book called 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card that takes you deeper and deeper into different techniques that um, will open up the cards and what I call enliven them. There's a sense when you work with the cards in this way that 
um, uh, after working with them for a few minutes, um, they start taking on a kind of dimensionality. It's almost as if the figures start becoming three-dimensional and they can even talk to you. That's one of the steps. Um, and you talk back. Uh, so that you can uh, have dialogues with the cards, you can act them out, um, and each of these levels takes you um, deeper and deeper and makes the cards seem more full, more dimensional. And ideally, when you begin working with the cards, you'll also begin finding a way for support or doing some kind of um, supporting inner psychological work. Because as you were talking, you're touching on shadow aspects, and as you're learning about yourself, you want to be able to have compassion for these parts and yeah. being willing to accept them. Definitely. Uh, everything in tarot relates to all the liberal arts in college and even some of the sciences. And if you want to really understand what's going on in the cards and everything that you can read in psychology, in mythology, in symbolism, um, in oh, the great um, the great literature, um, philosophy, <laughs> um, all of these things will uh, enrich your experience with tarot, but um, the modern, since the 1960s and even a little bit before that, there has been a, a definite psychological leaning to many people's uh, way of working with the cards um, that I think is very important and very, very significant. Um, there's other people who prefer having a very um, technically oriented predictive tool, and that works too. Um, uh, I can work both ways, um, but I, it's like I put on different hats. I, I focus my, um, attention differently when I'm reading in those different styles. In fact, if I want to do more predictive and very concrete answering specific question type of readings, then I do tend to use, um, another deck called the Lenormand deck, a 36 card, uh, deck that goes back to the late 18th, um, let me see late 18th century, late 1700s. And um, I use that for, you know, more fortune-telling predictive because um, I, I can deliberately work with that the cards in that way. Um, I tend to reserve the tarot for more spiritual and psychological kinds of experience, but that's just my own preference. It's not um, set in stone. It's not something that people have to follow. And Mary, you had a series of Blog posts on the Lenormand deck? There's some on my, um, on my blog. My tarot blog has uh, quite a few Lenormand things that have kind of drifted in there. Um, I really should start a separate blog just for Lenormand because it's so rich in its own right. And also yeah. there's a lot of other fortune-telling decks that people are beginning to rediscover um, at the same time that we're getting all kinds of new oracle decks. Um, so we've got a lot of choices. Uh, there's non-tarot oracle decks that are being created practically every day, um, and many of them are, you know, focused on um, integrating different systems like astrology through images, uh, letting the uh, astrological symbolism speak to you through cards that 
you know, stress a lot of uh, the characteristics of the cards, um, or you know, they're they're tied into a particular focus like angel, um, you know, angelology. <laughs> uh, so we have so many choices today, and each one of them has to be approached a little bit different, and not all of them are going to appeal to everybody. Now, we didn't talk about the the makeup of the deck, since the Norman deck has 32 cards. 36. 36 cards. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the, the basic tarot and suits and whatnot. Yeah, the um, the tarot was um, had 22 additional cards added on to a pre-existing set of playing cards. That's a different story than you'll hear in uh, many of the myths where the tarot came first. That's absolutely not true. We've, you know, that's been uh, proven very strongly. So, um, yeah, there's um, the tarot deck has 78 cards, which consist of a regular playing card deck with an additional court card in each suit. So there's uh, 56 uh, cards in the in four suits, and then it has the, the cards that are called Il Triumphos, or the Triumphs, uh, which are currently called the Major Arcana. And uh, those are the more spiritual cards. There's the Fool, the Magician, the High Priestess, the Empress, the Emperor. Um, so they're allegorical cards from the um, that period just before the Renaissance in Italy, what's called sometimes the High Gothic period. Um, it's kind of this no-person's land between medieval and um, Renaissance um, Italy. And... Um, so those are the, uh, the the major major arcana or major secrets. Uh, arcana is a word uh, related to the arc, like the arc of triumph, uh, the um, a box or container of secret secrets, and uh, that's how people have treated them since uh, Antoine Cordy Geblin and uh, the late 1700s declared that this was um, a deck from Egypt, which was completely wrong, and that it could be used for fortune-telling. But at that point, uh, a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon and started coming out with fortune-telling meanings. So um, in Europe, for a long time, they used the minor arcana, the playing card deck cards, uh, separately from the major arcana, so that uh, if you had a serious uh, more philosophical or spiritual question, you would use the trumps. If you had a very mundane issue, you would use the regular playing cards. Now we only have about three minutes until break. Um, this is pretty interesting. I'd like to continue this, but can you share with us some ways for people to reach you so that if they're interested in your work, they can contact you? Yeah, the best way is to go to my blog, which is marygreer.wordpress.com, and from there you can um, send me a message. Uh, there's a, a page on my uh, blog where you can send messages to me. So that's probably the best way. Okay. Now, do you have any upcoming appearances? 
Oh, yes, I do. In August, um, Rachel Pollack, who's one of the great tarot divas, is going to be with me at the Omega Institute. Oh, sorry, July. Um, the uh, week of the 21st to the 25th of July. We have been teaching there for over 20 years together, and we uh, teach for five days, a Monday through Friday. Uh, most people stay um, at the Omega Institute, which is a fabulous uh, New Age summer camp and uh, a, a very large place where there's lots of other workshops happening, great food, um, a great atmosphere. And uh, we just bury ourselves in tarot, um, and this year a little bit of Lenormand um, for those five days and become a real community of uh, learners. And then uh, that's in upstate New York, uh, Rhinebeck, New York, at the Omega Institute. You can uh, reach them at eomega, E-O, and then omega, uh, org. And uh, just look up my last name, Greer, and it'll take you right to the workshop. And um, if you want to go to China, I'll be in China in September. And uh, actually, oh, and I'll be in August in San Francisco Bats. It's happening the 23rd and 24th of August. That's in, um, it'll be in San Jose, uh, which has its own airport, or it's equally close to the uh, San Francisco airport, which is in South San Francisco near, near San Jose, um, at a wonderful, wonderful um, hotel. Uh, and that's has been going on for 23 years. So I encourage everybody at the major conference on the West Coast. Um, San Francisco Bay Area Tarot Symposium. Cause we're awakened, you won't catch us sleeping through the fight and life. We're all as open, showing our inside. Awakened Radio Network is brought to you by our sponsors. Visit and let them know you heard about them here on the Awakened Radio Network. Do you have health and medical problems the regular medical system cannot seem to figure out how to fix? If the answer is yes, then check out RifeEnergyMedicine.com. That is Rife spelled R-I-F-E, RifeEnergyMedicine.com for a new way to approach many of your health problems, RifeEnergyMedicine.com. Are you looking for a fun and easy and productive way to promote and advertise your personally owned business? If so, the Awakened Radio Network just might have the solution for you. Visit awakenedradio.net and look up under our products and services tabs. Or add Awakened Radio to your Skype contact and send Donna Devane, the station owner, a message. Or you can add uh, Donna Devane at gmail.com to your email contacts and send Donna an email letting her know that you would like to set a time to go over how to advertise your business in a way that makes getting sales easy without the struggle and a whole lot of fun. Do you have a message, something that just burns within you that you couldn't stop talking about even if someone offered to pay you to? 
Well, you just might be the type of host that we're looking for here on the Awakened Radio Network. Add Awakened Radio to your Skype contacts or send Donna Devane, the station owner, a message. DonnaDevane at gmail.com. And let's set up a time to talk and see if you and Awakened Radio Network are on the same consciousness wavelength. We might can work together and provide a win-win where your message goes out on our airwaves, reaching our global listeners, bringing fun, self-growth, and a whole lot of excitement to both your life and the Awakened Radio family. Welcome. You're now tuned in to your unfolding senses on Awakened Radio. I'm your host, Rob Ragazine. This show is all about opening up to and accessing your full intuitive capabilities. And we're all intuitive. I offer a wide range of topics, including everything from archetypes, chakras, and dreams, to numerology and tarot. We also try experiments and exercises on the show, and for you to try later on when you're alone. The show airs every Thursday night at 10 Eastern, 9 Central, and it's brought to you by IntuitionByRap.net, where I offer other tips and tools related to show topics. Please join us every week and enjoy the show, and don't forget to invite your friends. And remember, we're all intuitive. And we're back with Mary Greer. And if you have a question for Mary, you can join us by calling 334-649-7204 at Awakened Radio to Skype, or join us in our live chat room here at awakenedradio.net. So, Mary, we were talking about the ins and up, I guess, the makeup of the tarot, and you were talking about the different names, I guess, for the major arcana, and that the, I guess, new cards had, were added after a period of time, and all the mythology around that. Yeah, playing cards uh, entered Europe probably from uh, North Africa, um, from the Mamluk culture of the Arabs. Um, entered um, in about, I think, 1375 is the first recorded mention of them, so a few years before that. And then the tarot um, trumps were added uh, around 1440. So uh, we have, um, you know, about, what is it? 1440, 50, 60, 70, about 70 years later. And the uh, playing cards spread incredibly rapidly throughout all of Europe. It's like they caught on like wildfire. And uh, tarot um, never uh, achieved that widespread of a use, although um, it's a very popular game in its own right that's still played today uh, in parts of Eastern Europe, in France, uh, in Italy. Um, it's a game similar to uh, bridge or whist um, that it, it's a, what do you call it, trump uh, game where you've got a permanent trump suit. 
and it's a very fast game. It's a lot of fun. You can find resources on the internet uh, to actually play the game either with um, the machine or other internet players. And it's still going strong today in um, in Europe, parts of Europe. That sounds really neat. I have to look yeah. that up. Yeah, it's a fun game. And with the um, automated games um, where you play against the machine, it will show you how to play and what cards to lead. And so you can, it's just a really enjoyable game to play on, on the net. Now let's get back to, I guess, people who are beginning, Mary. How mm -hmm. do they get comfortable with the cards? Oh, um, well, like I said, um, you know, sitting down and, and writing about them, um, or so keeping you a journal is talking definitely... into it. Yeah, a journals uh, of your readings as well as the insights that you have into the cards, and then as you start to read, adding the ideas that makes the most sense to you. Um, rather than memorizing the cards, what I encourage is um, read for yourself, um, you know, do short daily readings, just pulling three cards. That way you start seeing what kinds of cards show up regularly for the people in your life um, and the, you know, common situations in your life. But also read for your friends and friends of friends. And at first, you know, don't hesitate to use a book because that's how you're going to learn. Um, you know, lay out um, a, a short spread for somebody and look up all the cards in the book. And as they respond to uh, how those cards and those meanings relate to their life, you're going to remember those stories. And that's a much better way to learn the cards, I think, than by sitting down and memorizing them, is, um, you know, read what the books say, uh, do as many readings as you can for yourself and other people, and uh, also go online because there's wonderful forums where you can uh, present your readings and get feedback from others, and you can see what other people have to say about the different cards. And you'll start associating the cards um, and the images on them with all of these different stories and situations where they've actually come up. And to me, that's the most dynamic, interesting way um, to get deeper into the cards, to learn about them. Um, then, of course, if you want to learn uh, the symbolism of the cards, there's whole metaphysical systems that are associated with it. Then you have to start uh, reading and, and studying up on them, uh, learning about symbols, getting a good symbol dictionary. There's tons of really good symbol dictionaries out there, and anyone um, one that deals with art is just as valuable as one that deals with a more psychological focus. Um, but get a good symbol dictionary or find a good website on the net that focuses on symbols and start looking up the symbols that really intrigue you. You know, what does a crown mean? You know, the crown of the head, something royal. Uh, what's royalty a metaphor for in your life? Um, if you are very royal, uh, what kind of a person are you? Um, so you're constantly expanding your learning and your knowledge when you do that because there's whole historical things that relate to some of uh, the symbols um, on the cards. And that will take you down these very interesting, um, you know, historical uh, lineages of um, like the rose. 
you know, ro the rose through history has gone through all of these uh, different significant um, meanings, gods and goddesses that it's associated with. Uh, the rose has been associated with um, uh, Horus, especially in his later manifestation um, in the Greco-Roman period, and um, but especially with Venus. So every time you see a rose, it can be tied in with Venus and with love um, versus the lily, which also appears in many of the cards, um, which uh, is more of a, a mindset and intellectual um, thinking that is very pure and clear. So you've got passion versus, um, you know, a clear um, intellect and a high virtue. Now, Mary, what about, I guess, do you find that people sometimes have that symbolism from their cards um, following them in synchronicity or dreams? So um, in dreams, in real life. Yeah, yes. there's all kinds of things that will start coming up. If you're studying the cards deeply, you start seeing them everywhere um, in real life. And you can start reading your life as if it was a tarot reading <laughs> because of having similar symbols um, uh, turning up in your life. So, um, yeah, you start um, living in two worlds. One world is this very symbolic world of meaning, as well as um, the very mundane world. And that's one of the exciting things that tarot does for you, too, is kind of taking you into that world of meaning, where everything in it, uh, in life, has a significance or a meaning for you. Now, Mary, you mentioned that a reading, whether you're doing it for yourself or someone else, should really increase your quality of life. So it's ideally, well, I guess that's part of what you're talking about when you have your your right reading interactivity, interactively for transformation and empowerment um, in your book. Mentioned, you know, to well, I guess you understand what I'm asking. Well, I I think it goes back to what you said earlier about compassion. Uh, I don't think you can hear all the stories from people and see their reactions to the symbols and hear what they ha they themselves have to say as they look at the cards. Um, you can't do that without becoming more compassionate for um, one thing that we all have similar issues and problems. The same questions come up over and over again. And that everybody is somewhere along the path. And you can't just rush it. Sometimes we want to hit somebody over the head and say, can't you see this? And they go, yes, I understand what you're saying, but I still need to try this. And to be able to hear that in someone and realize that you don't have to fix it is one of the most compassionate things a person can do. And I think most people who do readings a lot, it, uh, you get to the point where you can give them the information that you see, but you know that each person has to go on their own journey and that you can't force them into something else. And once you accept that, that you can't make them do something, that it opens up another whole level of being able to be with a person and have the great privilege of um, sharing with them uh, often a turning point moment or um, what I call the temenos, it's an, an old word that Carl Jung used, um, which means a sacred space. 
um, having this kind of opening in their lives where they're seeing the deeper meaning in something, even if they choose to continue on a path that is not the most healthy. Um, I think that when people continue on the old path, they do it more with their eyes open after a reading and will come to a point of realization much quicker about what they need to do in their lives. So ideally, you're helping them to empower themselves because we can't force them to be empowered. We have to let them have that space for themselves. Yes, and that's where compassion comes in. We can't force somebody to do that. And in, if you can totally accept that and honor where they are, that's one of the keys to compassion. Now, what's the, Mary, what's the best way to ask a question with the tarot? Oh, well, you can start out asking any question that you can possibly think of. Hopefully, you will very quickly come to realize that certain questions are not as good as other ones. <laughs> um, but everybody's got their own opinion about that. Um, there's also ethics involved in the kinds of questions that you ask. In other words, should you ask questions about other people or if you're doing readings for someone else, um, should you answer a question that they have about somebody else? One of the most popular questions that I see all the time on um, the Internet forums as well as uh, people wanting to ask, I, I won't answer it in a reading, uh, is what does so-and-so think about me? How do they feel about me? What do they think about me? So, you know, in other words, does Joe love me the way I want him to <laughs> is often what is really behind all of that. You know, is there a chance, are we going to get married and live happily ever after is um, the, the real question that's behind this often. Well, you know, it's really not appropriate to be, um, you know, peeping Tom on the inner mindset of Joe, who doesn't even know that it's being asked about. I mean, that's kind of rude. It's like going in somebody's house and going through their private papers and uh, putting a spy cam in their house. Um, that's my personal opinion. There's a lot of readers who feel that uh, there are situations where that's all right. And I have crossed the line on occasion and usually realized that that's not for me. Um, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, so we all have to try these things out and sometimes learn the hard way by feeling really guilty or um or you may feel that it's right, um, you know, doing those things. So um, ethical issues. Um, also, we're not, uh, unless you are a trained professional in another field, there's certain fields that you have no right giving uh, information on. As a matter of fact, you can be jailed for it. So you don't want to cross those legal lines, like uh, giving medical advice uh, or legal advice or um, uh getting too much into the psychological counseling. You can do a psychologically based reading, but that's very different than uh, actual counseling with someone in an ongoing basis um, as a therapist. Uh, so without a therapist license, most states require that if you're going to call yourself a counselor or a therapist, that you be licensed and trained in the field. And, you know, I agree with that, um, that, um, 
that doesn't mean that readings can't be therapeutic, but you cannot be a therapist. And understanding the difference between those things is absolutely essential. Uh, so knowing what the boundary is, what, what your line is. Because I tend to read more psychologically oriented, I don't do repeat readings for people until at least the six months and preferably a year. So they get one reading from me a year or if there's major changes every six months. Because if I did weekly readings, it would start sounding very much like therapy and that's not appropriate. Um, and I know that um, if it looks like there's major issues with, say, you know, father, major father issues, if, you know, it's not appropriate, uh, to go into the whole root of those. So I might just point out that part of the situation or issues, um, that you're having with, uh, why you can't have a relationship that lasts very long in your life might go back to early childhood issues with your father or, you know, a male uh, figure that you might want to take into a therapy situation that's not appropriate for us to delve into in more depth in a 15-minute reading at a fair or even an hour reading. So, um, That other... person has to be willing to take their own healing path. Yeah. Yeah, and to find the the most appropriate. If I was a therapist and a tarot reader, then, you know, I, I could integrate those um, if that was agreed upon with the person I'm working with. But um, uh, without that um, uh, licensing in the state, uh, you know, you really have to know the laws of your state. So that's, that's a big rule if you're going to be reading for others is learn the laws of, of the state. And what professional areas are you not trained in? Like, should you be giving stock advice? Um, you know, you, you really just need to understand what the legal ramifications are of your doing something like that. So, um, yes, no questions are difficult. Um, I don't discount them entirely, but I um, do the best to avoid, the, avoid them. And one of the things is that a yes, no question is answered yes or no. End of, end of story. Uh, or you could answer it maybe, or, you know, it's not yet known uh, whether it's yes or no. So you've got a, a few ways in and out, but there are some, are some alternatives that make a yes-no situation a little richer. Um, for instance, a, a man named James Rickliffe uh, came up with the form, yes, if you do this, no, if you do that. So... Um, the positive cards show positive directions. The negative cards show uh, where the greatest problems are in a situation like, um, you know, will I get a job in the next six months? Yes, you will get a job if you do this. No, you won't get a job if you do that. Um, so I like that kind of a variation, um, and there's spreads that are designed to bring these kinds of things out. So you can look through um, books of spreads just to see different directions that you can go. There's quite a few wonderful books of spreads, and you can go to places like eclectic.net, that's spelled A-E-C-L-E-C-T-I-C, eclectic, uh, starts with an A-E, um, and they have... Um, uh, a great list of different kinds of spreads, um, a, a downloadable um, a PDF that you can uh, get, as well as uh, resources, all kinds of resources for finding out about um, those kinds of things. So look at books of spreads. That will give you lots of ideas. Um, 
about the kinds of issues and questions that Tarot does best at answering. Now, Mary, how do you feel the modern media has affected everyone's view of Tarot? Think it's kind of a disservice? Well, there's no one modern media. <laughs> there's so many different well, television and movies, yeah. for instance. They do tend to focus on, oh no, she got the death card or the devil or the hangman. <laughs> so um, usually they're used in dramatic situations where somebody is getting a warning and therefore they're going to turn up the worst cards in the deck, the most scary cards, in order to provide that fear factor. Um, and that's how Tarot most often gets used in television and movies. Uh, it's a sensationalist kind of experience. Occasionally you'll find something um, on um, a TV, even more than movies, that uh, goes a little bit deeper, gives you a little hint that there's something more there. Um, but I have to admit that Dark Shadows, which was, um, you know, a 60s uh, sitcom that came on just at the same time that most of us were getting home from school um, and featured vampires and witches and had tarot card readings. That's probably the first time I ever saw an actual tarot deck, which sort of stuck in my subconscious and I didn't even think about for years after um, I had read tarot. But it certainly gave me... Um, a recognition factor when I first saw the cards and said, oh, that's what they are. You know, that's what it's about. Um, so I, I kind of credit it with getting me intrigued and interested in it. So those things can do it. There's been some wonderful um, uh, music videos that have used tarot in a much more interesting ways. Uh, one of my favorite ones is called The Wheel, Roseanne Cash, and I really recommend people go to YouTube and take a look at the um, the music video, Roseanne Cash's um, The Wheel. And it's absolutely beautiful. Features of, oh, I don't remember how many, probably about 20 different tarot cards are depicted in the music video and acted out in a way, way. Um, the wheel goes round and, you know, kind of life goes on and it's pictured through the these images from the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. Um, so uh, books, there's a lot of books that have used uh, tarot in uh, very interesting ways, sometimes a tarot reader and been much more sympathetic. Um, there was a um, uh, autobiographical um memoir that was very humorous written um oh i don't remember her name but it's what's it called the the tarot let me see the devil the oh i'm sorry i can't remember the name of it right now it's it's there on my blog i i talk about it on my blog um the devil and me something there's one other card in there um but it's um a fabulous kind of memoir very humorous um that is uses the tarot cards and readings as um, a way that this the woman is looking at the events in her life. Um, absolutely fabulous. And some great mystery stories that uh, feature the, the tarot. So, um, yeah, the media has been at quite cross-purposes, um, you know, whether it's sensationalizing tarot and kind of giving it a, a gypsy or a witch kind of scary approach um, or, 
more sympathetic, but we're getting more and more things that um, where there's a realization that there's some uh, deeper significance to the tarot. There was even a um, an episode about two years ago of Bones, the TV show that had um, a couple of wonderful tarot readings in it, done by uh, Cindy Lauper. Uh, was the character uh, or the actress who played the character uh, of the reader. Well, thank you, Mary. We, we're coming to the end of the show. I had one quick question here mm -hmm. that um, I'd like to ask people. And that is, can you tell us a moment when you knew that the work that you were doing had was making a difference? Oh. This, must, this might take you back a few years, but maybe not. Well, uh, uh, that happens all the time. I mean, er every time I get a chance to um, do a group of readings, there's always a few that stand out as um, very magical moments. You know, there, there's some readings that are... Um, you know, to me, they might seem very mundane. Sometimes I found out later they were very significant for the person who had them. I just didn't, uh, I didn't feel that real connection. But later they say, you know, something that you, that I said was very, very significant for them. Uh, but, um, if I'm doing fairs and a couple of days of reading, there's always a few of the readings that just that heart moment where, you recognize in somebody that there was a turning point, a realization, an understanding of the deeper meaning of something in their lives that um, I just feel so honored to be present when that happens. It's I'm in awe of um, that those moments that I get to witness those moments in someone. I guess that's the closest I can say it. It happens all the time. <laughs> and we had a number of people ask about books in the chat room. So for the newcomers, I guess, what would be, I guess, one of your own books that you might recommend them? Um, probably for starting out, I would recommend either Tarot for Yourself, which is a workbook, um, or 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card, which um, introduces you to all these different approaches to get information from the cards for yourself uh, or reading for someone else. Yeah, either either one. The 21 Ways is um, a much later book, and therefore it incorporates all the learning and all the different courses that I've done over, you know, 40-plus years of uh, reading and teaching the cards. Um, and Tarot for Yourself was my first book that is considered to be a classic. Um, it's a little bit um, uh, hippie-oriented, New Age hippie. Uh, uh, as I look back on it now, but it's still a very solid book um, for getting the basics down and uh, having a very personal approach to the cards. One of the first books I remember reading. So thank you. Oh, well, I'm glad I, it was there for you. Now, do you have any last words of wisdom to share with us? Uh, well, probably the one thing that I recommend most, um, and that's when you're doing a reading and you suddenly don't remember what a card means or you don't know what to say, when in doubt, simply describe the card. And that's like priming the pump. Things will start happening. So if you don't know what to say, just look at the card and start describing it as literally as possible. You know, there's a man on a horse 
wearing armor, and as you speak, uh, you'll something will catch. Well, thank you very much, Mary, for coming on the show. It's been a great learning experience, and I'm sure people learned a lot tonight. Well, I was really glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for coming on so quick. Yeah. I'd love to have you on again one day. I'd love to come back. Because we're okay. awakened, you won't get to sleeping through the fight and life. We're all as open, showing our inside and life so bright. We are awakened, come and join our love, it's so so right. If you could feel what we feel now, you'd be a 